Welcome to another archive from Restorative Justice on the Rise, an ongoing telecast series internationally accessible, co-sponsored by the Peace Alliance. This archive features an extraordinary dialogue with Carolyn Boyce Watson. Carolyn is the founder of the Center for Restorative Justice at Suffolk University and a published author of multiple works, including Heart of Hope, which is a very popular guide for using peacemaking circles to develop emotional literacy, promote healing, and build healthy relationships. You can find out more about her work at livingjusticepress.org. Also, thanks to Living Justice Press for co-sponsoring and supporting this mini-series focusing on restorative justice practices in schools during the month of November 2013. For more information about Restorative Justice on the Rise, please go to our website at restorativejusticeontherise.com. You can check out archives featuring over 100 of our world's wayshowers, submit suggestions for guest speakers, as well as access the schedule for the upcoming programs. We hope to see you and hope you'll get involved. And thank you again for being a part of this extraordinary opportunity to collaborate and mobilize in the field of restorative justice and beyond. Enjoy this archive with Carolyn Boyce Watson on restorative justice practices and schools. Good evening and such a warm welcome to you all. This is Molly Rowan Leach and you are tuning in to your dialogue circle, Restorative Justice on the Rise. It's great to have you here with us. If it's your first time joining us, uh, we warmly welcome you. This is a production of the Peace Alliance, and Restorative Justice on the Rise is an ongoing, mostly weekly telecast series. You can access the schedule information as well as um, slowly but surely building back the over 100 MP3 archives into a podcast, which is at restorativejusticeontherise.com. You can also find out more about the Peace Alliance's interest in supporting advocacy, political will, and movement building, supporting restorative justice in the United States and beyond at peacealliance.org. Uh, there's action teams forming too that are a great way to mobilize, connect, and tune into what's going on in your local communities. More information also can be found at the Peace Alliance website. Um, before we go into our conversation tonight with our wonderful, wonderful guest speaker and way shower in the field, I want to say a few words about our partner for this month. November is a very special month that uh, Restorative Justice on the Rise, the Peace Alliance, uh, are partnering with Living Justice Press. Living Justice Press is a nonprofit publisher for restorative justice, and they have an incredible array of publications. Please check out their website, if you don't already know about it, at livingjusticepress.org. Again, this series this month uh, is being partnered with Living Justice Press, and the focus is restorative justice and schools and our youth and also peacemaking circles and how to implement those in schools and our communities. I know many of you who come to these uh, public dialogue circles here in this room, virtual room, are involved yourselves in implementing restorative justice practices, peacemaking circles, and processes. Some of you are here for uh, and new, so to speak, for the first time to these processes and uh, systems, but just a reminder that in many ways this is inherent in all of us. And I know that our, our honored guest tonight will probably have some words to say about that in, once we get into our dialogue. So a, a few more uh, just notes about the room. This is a, a dialogue space for education, inspiration, connection, and for us all to stay in touch together and do a lot like what I was just men mentioning as the Peace Alliance goals are in mobilizing a movement, helping people to become educated, and to talk about important points uh, within the restorative justice movement and beyond. So 
Um, that being said, we welcome questions, we welcome comments, and if you'd like to open up to a live conversation with our special guest and with us all tonight, all you need to do is press 1 on your telephone keypad. We'll open up for live questions during the second portion of the hour tonight. So please make use of that if you wish. You also might want to know that you can pre-submit questions. Many of you do, and thank you to those who submitted them for tonight. You can pre-submit questions for every week's guest by doing so during your registration process. So without further ado, again, a, a great thanks to Living Justice Press for partnering with us for this mini-series this month focusing on restorative justice and schools. Tonight's very special guest, Carolyn Boyce Watson, is the founding director of Suffolk University Center for Restorative Justice, and she's also an associate professor of sociology at, at Suffolk. Professor Boyce Watson has been on the faculty since 1993, and she holds a bachelor's from the University of Pennsylvania and a master's and PhD in sociology from Harvard University. I've also noticed in my own experience of Dr. Boyce Watson that she has a heartfelt way of conveying wisdom and a very authentic presence. If you haven't already seen the video that was included in the invitation and registration emails this week, there's, uh, there's a great video on YouTube where Dr. Boyce Watson is speaking to um, and with the folks up at Chautauqua in New York this summer. It's a powerful video. I highly recommend it. She also, as many of you may know, is the author of Peacemaking Circles for Ur Urban Youth and a co-author with our dear friend Kay Pranis of Heart of Hope, which is a guide for using peacemaking circles to develop emotional literacy, promote healing, and build healthy relationships. Now, I know that uh, in the green room, Carolyn was sharing with me that she and Kay are also creating, which will come out in the spring of 2014, uh, a manual that is based on Heart of Hope called Learning by Heart, and that will be um, specifically for use in our schools. So just a very warm welcome to you, Carolyn, and um, welcome to Restorative Justice on the Rise. And, and just if you could start by sharing a bit about your background and what brought you into such a devoted focus for so, such a long time in this, this field. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. Um, well, uh, I really got into restorative justice uh, through my job as um, a sociologist and a teacher, um, teaching about, I think I started teaching about the criminal justice system nearly 30 years ago in the mid-1980s when our prison population was growing to about a half a million, which seemed very high at the time. Um, and I started teaching about uh, this area inside the classroom. I worked with my students on all the ways over the years, exploring all the ways that our system was not working to um, address the issues of crime, not helping people change, um, making change in their lives and in the communities, and, and actually doing harm. And at some point, I decided to get active outside of the classroom. I got involved in um, the reform of our system by serving on a board for 10 years of a prisoner's rights organization, dealing with uh, conditions of incarceration. But even then, it seemed to me that it was not enough to just reduce incarceration, that we, as important as that is, we really needed to think of a different way of thinking about responding to harm, thinking about what justice is and what justice looks like. So I think, like many, many others, um, I read Howard Sayre's book. And that did indeed, Changing Lenses, uh, changed. Uh, for me, it was opening a door to what I saw was a path forward, that this made sense to me. This made sense to me in terms both of my own values for uh, as a woman, as a mother, um, as a citizen. And then it also made sense to me as an intellectual, as, as a social scientist, in terms of all that I knew about 
how and why people and communities change. So Zare's book, I think like many others, opened me to restorative justice. It also really made me understand that as a professional I had been very offender focused in my thinking about the system and about justice. And it again clarified for me the need for really a paradigm shift. So really I sat around and said, well, what can I do? And I started teaching a course in restorative justice, which I still teach. But I thought, what else could I do? And I believe everybody has a zone of influence where they can do something. So I said, well, I can create a center since I'm at a university to really bring these ideas out into the community. So the idea of the center was to really take these ideas out into the community and to work with whomever was willing to work with me, whether it was members of the system, churches, schools, faith communities, whomever. Um, and so that's what we started to do in 1997 and uh, started doing lots of public education, what is restorative justice, and then started doing trainings and, and on and on. And that's what we still continue to do today. Hmm. Well, I, kn I know that uh, tonight we're going to be really looking closely at working with youth and, of course, uh, work with schools. And I'm wondering if, if you might begin by talking about, as we go into the deeper conversation here, what the role and purpose of school really is and how the restorative framework helps us to achieve that purpose. Well, I think this is a really interesting and important question, which actually, um, if I were in charge, which clearly I'm not, um, I think every school should take time to reflect on this question. Um, it seems to me that schools are the one universal, publicly funded institution that is there to care for all of our children. Outside the family, they're the one place where children consistently grow up in the company of adults. And we're all familiar with the basic fact that our communities in generally have, have atrophied, that communities' um, relationships within the community are less important in people's lives than in the past, that extended families don't live near one another and not as prevalent and important in people's lives. And all of this becomes incredibly important for children. Um, and it really heightens the importance of the schools as a place where children can continue to gain support, guidance, and care in the company of adults. So for me, the first priority of schools is really to be to care for students and to be in that regard then places of stability, continuity, and community. Um, and this is especially true in high need and stressed communities where children are oftentimes for a whole host of reasons not getting the support that they need within the home um, and come to school with with this need. But this is true in general, that these, this is the one institution in our society where we really still hold on to a commitment to raise all of our children well. well I, I love how you mentioned that it really is a paradigm shift that we're experiencing and how to, to step in proactively on a real ground level to support the reweaving of our communities and it does seem, as you pointed out, that our schools really are a hub um, that we have available to us uh, really across, no matter where we live, we, there, there are schools in our communities. And they seem to be one of the, the most, path, I suppose, the path of least resistance. Um, and not only that, of course, we, we honor and love our children and our youth, and we know that they are our future. And um, so it definitely seems like a very important place to, to, play, you know, to put a lot of attention with. And, and as you said, too, that um, on the other end of things, speaking about prisons and our situation here in the United States that we incarcerate 
25% of the world's prisoners and we are a very small fraction of the world's population. Um, you know, the, the, this seems like such a, a ripe moment right now in our history as, uh, you know, as a very young country to, to redirect the, the, um, the ship, so to speak. So I, I want to go into for a moment just uh, the aspect of, of understanding positive youth de- development and how restorative justice fits that positive youth development. Can you say a bit about that, please? Sure. I mean, I, I think that um, positive youth development to me is really based on the idea that young people have a natural drive or inclination towards their own healthy development and that when they're in stable relationships with caring adults and afforded positive opportunities to learn and serve and grow, they naturally develop in pro-social directions. Um, in the absence of these opportunities, young people will go to seek these, their needs for belonging. These are legitimate needs for belonging, identity, status, excitement, um, competence, and meaning through whatever means are, or outlets are available to them. And a lot of the at-risk behaviors and negative behaviors, you can think of gangs, you can think of all kinds of, of um, what we problematize as youth at-risk behaviors, are really an expression of their desire to meet these very legitimate needs. And the insight of positive youth development was really a profound shift on the part of the adults to change the way they were thinking about youth. So rather than seeing them as kind of bearers of problems in need of fixing, something was wrong with them, the lens was shifted to see them as really, you know, seekers of health and leaders in their own life and of having something valuable and important to offer. And the change there was for adults to then focus on creating opportunities for youth, for leadership, for engagement, for connection, and then positive things would naturally happen. So in a way, I think restorative justice is a similar kind of shift, paradigm shift for schools, that um, in restorative justice, we would assume all young people have an inherent desire to be in good relationships with others, to feel valued and to belong, because really restorative justice is essentially about cultivating healthy relationships. It's really about being in good relationship with yourself and with others in your community and how to restore that relationship when there's been a violation. So in a way, um, this shift, the parallel with restorative justice is to help to understand, for adults to understand the motivation of young people to restore a relationship is rooted in a healthy relationship, in the nature and the quality of the relationship between adults and young people. And that it is really this relationship, this sense of belonging that motivates a desire to restore positive relationships in the first mm-hmm. place when somebody has violated another person. Now, I think, I think you, you said something really profound and simple in that video I was mentioning to our dialogue circle tonight about um, let's not make restorative justice complicated. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a simple process and it honors simple principles in action. And I just love that. Can you recount that just a bit for for our circle tonight, please? I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure what. That yeah, I I thought that I thought it was you. It could have been some some other wonderful um, leader in the field, but I don't I don't recall. Uh, I think it was you. But the the point being that restorative justice and the principles in action um, of repairing harm of instead of of exploring who done it uh, trying to find who done it and how to punish is is it's in fact um answering to uh you know repairing the harm and how how to do that together and of course honoring the victim's needs 
and um, finding ways to restore balance where and if possible, or at least create the conditions for that. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that if it, you know, I think that restorative justice is actually something, or, or really justice is something that we innately feel, um, and that is part of our um, human makeup, and that the desire to be treated with respect and dignity, to feel a sense of uh, belonging and value to others is really fundamental to us as human beings. And we feel it when we are being disrespected or treated unjustly. And we have, a, you know, we have instincts to try to correct that imbalance. And I think that we need to trust some of the ways in which we as human beings can uh, find that the restoration um, rather than thinking that this is not this is not so complicated. This is something that many people in schools know how to do. When you see an adult who is able to discipline children in a healthy, positive way such that the children are really responsive to it, usually they're leveraging the quality of the good relationship that they have with that young person, that they build. Discipline is a, is a part of being in relationship in a, in a respectful, mutually caring relationship. Discipline flows in a very natural way in that context. And many, many good teachers practice some version of restorative discipline without ever calling it that. Mm -hmm. So this mm -hmm. is really in our human capacity mm -hmm. to do this. You know, it reminds me, too, of a conversation that we had just recently with Fanya Davis and Destiny Shabazz, who is a ninth grader in, within the Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth programs. And it was just very moving to, to hear the systems that they have set up over there in Oakland that are really providing a space for youth who are very troubled, some of them very troubled and, and you know, tagged and labeled as mm -hmm. discipline issues or, or problematic kids who mm -hmm. have actually really turned around given that they have uh, restorative justice, restorative practices facilitators on staff now in many of those schools within the programs. I'm, I'm wondering on that note, are there programs that you're directly involved with right now in your area or around the country? And, or if not, if, if you'd like to share a little bit about some of the programs that you are seeing um, really build and grow with, with great efficacy. Well, yeah, and I just want to make a quick comment about, you know, the idea that um, – that these young people were turned around by restorative justice. I find what the work that we do in schools in bringing in a circle practice as part of building strong communities where everyone feels valued and respected um, is really about getting the adults to change how they relate to the young people, and then the young people respond. Mm. So, Thank you know, you. we oftentimes yeah. focus very much on, okay, so we've, you know, the kids have changed. And quite frankly, when mm -hmm. I go into a school, I'm thinking in my head, I probably shouldn't say this on the radio, but I'm thinking in my head that, you know, what I'm really doing is trying to encourage the adults to change how they relate to young people. Mm. Even though I they love that, though. That's, that's such a good change. point. Thank you so much for picking up on that. I, I, and please continue. I, I really honor and appreciate this point you're making. And that, you know, and that is the shift from positive youth development in that same way we, mm -hmm. we to, to change the way adults are responding because kids have a natural inclination toward healthy development. And when they are lacking because the adults have, have been unable to provide for them the kind of role models, I mean, learning how to be accountability accountable is really about watching how the adults handle the mistakes that they make and how they restore when they've made any kind of violation. Are they able to apologize? Are they able to be accountable and admit what they've done and so on and so forth? This is how children learn how to be accountable. And, you know, there's um, 
So restorative justice is really about a holistic way in which a community starts to treat each other with deep respect and caring, regardless of age or status and so on. So we really look to encourage schools to bring a circle practice into their community, to in, bring it into the classroom and bring it into the whole school community. And yes, we work with many schools to do that. Um, and to start to build trust, to get to know one another, and also to have this as a resource when inevitably people violate one another so that there's a good process in place for restoring things back that have become more positive. You have to begin with a foundation of good relationships, and I think that many of our schools don't have that to begin with and adults and youth don't trust one another, don't talk to one another, don't um, interact with one another. The youth, the peer culture can be pretty oppressive. Um, there's many ways in which it's really important for school communities to see this in a very holistic way um, and not just focus on restorative justice as discipline. And I think the circle practice is one of the ways in which we really encourage schools to adopt this and start to use this in ways that make sense for them on so many, in so many ways, mm -hmm. um, not just to think about it in terms of um, an alternative to suspension or, mm -hmm. or something when there's a discipline issue. I, I just want to say again, I so appreciate your um, responding to that and, to, and turning it around. That really really was was brilliant because that's really where it's at and I know that there's so many dedicated teachers out there who've been working with children for decades um, who are facing so many pressures right now with all, you know a lot of laws that have been passed I, I live I happen to live in Colorado and there was a bill that just passed into law that um, tightens the grip even more on teacher performance being directly connected with um, student performance and, and the testing that happens. And of course that we know that in plain terms that means job stability for our teachers. And I'm wondering what your, your thoughts are on how we can support of course our youth but also our teachers in seeing how bringing this climate into our schools actually might even help them to feel less stress, not more, because I'm sure they're feeling even more and more. I know they are at my son's school here in Colorado. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, one of the realities about schools is that the relationships that develop between adults and children are going to mirror the relationships that the adults have with one another. So when adults feel a lot of stress and they don't have the time to get to know one another, they feel judged and they feel anxious, that this is all going to be kind of reflected in their relationship with the, the kids. So, um, you know, again, in so many ways, this is about really encouraging adults oftentimes, especially teachers who are in many ways um, have a love of children, have a love of them as people and human beings and want to connect with them and feel these pressures to sort of, in a sense, address other priorities. And they're told, you don't have the time to do this. You can't take the time to be present. You can't take the time to listen to this child. You can't take the time to get to know one another. You can't share this about yourself. It's not professional. There are many, many, many ways in which forces from our culture and from our school systems are, in a way, um, undermining the instincts that teachers have to respond to the whole child, to respond to their needs, and they feel you know, I, my heart goes out to them when I go into schools because they feel under enormous pressure to teach to the test, to um, meet all of these demands that are coming at them. And those are essentially values and priorities that are coming from um, outside, you know, 
from beyond the classroom in, into the classroom. And I think that in a lot of ways, many of us who do this work in schools begin by having circles for the teachers and for the staff to start to slow down, to talk about why they do this work, what, how they feel about their, the challenges that they face, to become more supportive to one another, um, and that, and to kind of, in a sense, model for them a process that they then feel they can see the pathway to doing this with the students as well. So in many schools, sometimes the, the place you really begin is, is encouraging um, the school to use this among the teachers mm. um, mm -hmm. so that they can start to connect with their own feelings, to learn their own social-emotional, uh, to increase their own emotional intelligence about how they feel and so that they have better self-control in terms of their feelings and they have a better sense of relationship and feel supported as adults. And that will immediately really transfer into the classroom as well. Mm -hmm. But schools are in a really tough, this is so important to work with schools right now because they are mm -hmm. places that have tremendous pressures mm -hmm. on them and they are really in some sense being um, asked to fix problems that are far beyond the scope of, you know, to sort of address inequality and to address all kinds of problems and then also being, in a sense, blamed for not doing that. Right. So, right. Well, I just want to take a brief station break um, for a moment here and welcome you if you are joining us just now. We are talking with Carolyn Boyce Watson, and I just want to thank Living Justice Press, who is our partner this month on Restorative Justice on the Rise, for this mini-series that we're, create, we're doing each week for the month of November. Uh, mostly focusing on restorative justice in schools. Living Justice Press, as I mentioned at the outset of our time together tonight, is a nonprofit publisher for restorative justice. They also are the publisher of Heart of Hope, which is a guide for using peacemaking circles to develop emotional literacy, promote healing, and build healthy relationships. That is a wonderful manual and guide from Carolyn as well as Kay Pranis co-authoring together. And there's a great abundance of publications, also including Carolyn's book, Peacemaking Circles and Urban Youth. And I just want to also mention, too, to stay in touch with Carolyn, you can email her at crj at suffolk.edu. That's crj at suffolk.edu. You can find out more about the Center for Restorative Justice at Suffolk University by Googling them. Um, I, I have a website address here, but it's a little bit long to share on the air. <laughs> so please Google Suffolk University Center for Restorative Justice to find out more about their programs. Also, to check out the archives and upcoming guests, including Nancy Riestenberg next week, who is going to be joining us uh, next Thursday, that is 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, restorativejusticeontherise.com for schedule and archives. For this next segment, too, please join the dialogue by pressing 1 on your telephone keypad. You can ask questions, make comments, and join the conversation. We warmly welcome you into the conversation tonight. And Carolyn, I'd like to come back into our thread here by, by just uh, asking you a question that was pre-submitted by Shankari. And thank you for that question, Shankari. She's wondering a little bit more about uh, your plans to develop training sessions throughout the country so that this can be replicated in other places, in other cities. And of course, your new work, Learning by Heart, will be coming out in, in the coming spring. So do you have plans or are you already in motion with doing any kinds of trainings or visitations to different schools around the country? Well, we are based in Boston, so we are very much working very close to home. Um, we are working with the Boston Public School System that has now 
um, revised its code of conduct to um, include restorative practices and to, uh, in order to be in compliance with Massachusetts law, have all schools embrace a positive, inclusive form of discipline um, prior instead of using any kind of suspensions and expulsions. So restorative practices is now in the code of conduct as a accepted and encouraged approach for schools to adopt. So we are working with that school system to get the training out into the schools in that major urban system. But we're hoping that the manual, Learning by Heart, will be a real sort of um, kind of a how-to manual for people. We designed this guide to really, uh, it will have circles for using, it'll have lesson plans for using circles in the classroom, for teaching, for having, building relationships, for building community, for having what we call important but difficult conversations, for talking about issues of race and privilege and uh, gender. Um, we also will have circles for uh, templates for how to use circles for discipline. So we hope the manual will really support learning. And um, my guess is wherever you are, the person who asked this question, there is somebody who's, who's there to, to help you uh, bring this into your school. You just have to find them. There's RJ communities everywhere. Um, so Nancy Riesenberg, who's going to be on next time, has a keeps in touch with most of the people active in schools. So wherever you are, that's a good connection to find a local trainer where mm. you might be. Wonderful. Thank you again, Shankari, for that question. And just want to open up to a live question or comment. Welcome, Jim. You're live. Hi, nice to talk to you again. Um, so I have a happy, quick story, if I can make it quick, and a question. And the happy story is I live in the... Sierra Foothills, uh, that big rim fire was right in our backyard. Um, but the, the happy story is, is that we've done a lot of circle work, and we are starting to do um, uh, peer mediation work in a particular school. We had circles in a whole bunch of schools. And we've got buy-in top-down and bottom-up, meaning the, you know, the super, superintendents and the principals and the, and, the, um, and the kids and the janitors and the bus drivers, and they all want to know how to resolve conflict. That's, that they're, they're all just, that's, that's what they want. And so as a Rotarian, we've got young kids planting peace poles in their schools and sitting in circle and actually doing mediations. Um, and um, we, we hooked up with Fresno State because they've got a program called uh, Mentoring Mediators, and they come to the schools and help them do it. And so I've hooked them up with our Rotarians. We've got and just in my little district, we've got 54 clubs. That's a lot of communities. Wow, that's great. And so we're starting to make real, real honest headway in diverting kids away from the criminal justice system. And my question is, I've been calling this restorative practices to stay away from the notion that this has to do with the, the justice system, which is usually retributory and, and, uh, and, and therefore negative. And so I've just been staying away from it. But you guys are professionals in this area that have been telling the story of rege restorative justice. So I almost feel disloyal in calling it restorative <laughs> practices. You got a comment about that? Well, look, I mean, I think that actually, you know, it's interesting about terminology. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people in schools prefer restorative practices because then because of the justice connotation with the justice system. Um, I sometimes think about you know how to promote a restorative school, or I sometimes talk about restorative thinking and restorative approaches. Um, you know, I actually personally believe I know the connotation with justice is the criminal justice system, but I think that justice is so important to in every relationship, people feel like it's a just relationship or an unjust relationship. And kids, youth in schools oftentimes feel unjustly treated. And so I think justice is relevant wherever we are. Um, but I think it's terrific to use restorative practices. I think that's far more common in the school setting than it is to use restorative justice. I think in a school yeah. setting, 
the preferred term is restorative practices. I, again, like I said, I've kind of come around to sometimes think about what would it mean to have a restorative school because I like to think about how do you create a whole school climate that is caring and compassionate. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, I think you're on the right track. And it sounds amazing what you're doing. Really exciting. Thanks. I, I, uh, I'm a lawyer and a mediator, and I coach conflict management. So, I mean, people know me in this little bitty community, and it helps that, I, I mean, I am talking about justice, but it, in the schools, they just seem to relax a little bit more around it, so it's just easier. Oh, yeah. I think it's distracting in the school context. So we also use uh, restorative approaches, restorative practices. I think that's really the accepted terminology. But some people like restorative justice, and so it'll still show up every now and again. Um, but you know, I think that it's important to invite conversations and circles about what justice is and what justice means in a school, because I think that that's just an important theme for us all to talk about. One of my deep feelings is we all need to participate in the the process of justice in our own lives when it concerns our own lives, and that's this is not something that you can give someone else to do. All of us have a need to feel a sense of justice and to participate when justice has been denied us in some way. And so I think it's, and that is just does also has relevance for schools um, and for all human relationships. But but I use restorative practices when it comes to working with schools as well. So thank you. Hello? I want to ask a question. Okay. How does, one, how does one get a copy of the manual, Learning by Heart? Uh, well, uh, you will be able to get it when it comes out in the spring. Oh, it's um, right. You can get the Heart of Hope is available. Heart of Hope okay. has over 50 circles in it, and it's being used widely in schools right now. How, do, how does one get that? And you can get that from Living Justice Press. So, um, Molly, can you describe how to contact Living Justice Press? The internet, I guess. Yes. So, Living Justice Press. If you just Google Living Justice Press, their website will come up and you can order it right from them. And it's also available, I think it's available on Kindle. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and livingjusticepress.org. So again, most of the books that we've mentioned tonight are all there available at livingjusticepress.org, or of course you can Amazon it or find your independent bookseller. I'm pretty sure they're over there on the independent sales channels as well. And I do know it's great news to hear that Heart of Hope has really had an excellent reception. I was talking with the the co-founder of Living Justice Press, and she was sharing that it's had uh, incredible sales. They're flying off the shelves going into these schools. So it's, it's just great news to, to hear that, and I highly recommend it. It's an incredible manual. I've got it right here in front of me right now. Um, so, Leah, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. I'd like to open up the line again here for another live live comment or question. Jose, welcome. You're live. Hi, thank you. You know, I just wanted to say, uh, just in terms of that comment, uh, first of all, let me say that your book is a, it, both books are wonderful, um, and and I really I really recommend them and all the books on Living Justice Press, uh, LivingJusticePress.org, and I don't work for them, but I do read their books. Um, but I, I do want to say that um, I, I work in a school in the Bronx in New York City, and what I've really started calling uh, the circles is um, how do we, or talking about is how do we create caring communities, mm -hmm. and and use that term um, because we started the circles in the classrooms with what we call family group or advisory, uh, etc. And and just the the difficulty I have. Uh, and it's not a major difficulty with the issue of uh, restorative justice, is that if you don't really have a community, um, it's hard to restore, you know, you're building justice, you're not restoring it. You Absolutely. originally 
didn't have a caring community, and that's what we're trying to do. One hundred percent. You, I couldn't say it better. That's exactly. That's exactly the. What I would have liked to have said too. You know, that's exactly the point. I mean, you really have to build healthy relationships and build a caring community. And you know, and then really, when something goes wrong, these are the practices you use to restore back to this healthy state. But for the most part, we generally don't have practices that help us be in healthy relationship with one another. So you really have to begin from that foundation. Mm. And um, so that's that's beautiful. So I, I just want—I do want to ask you one quick question. I mean, one of the—we um, have a lot of social workers who go into the advisories and help teachers create these caring communities. And one of the responses we get sometimes is from the teachers um, is that I'm not trained to do this, or um, this t deals too much with emotional issues, uh, mm -hmm. etc. Along those lines. And I'm, and I'm just curious as to. Um, how you perhaps have seen that uh, handled in the past? Well, I would say that you know I've had that experience as well. I think that's one of the challenges for us because in some ways, you know, that's what circles are doing. They're opening us up to aspects of our culture that really discourage us from connecting to our all parts of ourselves from our emotional self. And what's really interesting to me is that we have now understood social emotional learning is really important for um, for students, for children, that this is something that's a critical part of learning. Um, and yet we sort of don't have a similar understanding that adults need the ability to practice speaking from their hearts as well. And that this is um, it's scary. It's one of the the, the parts of this that make it that sometimes people get nervous about. So I say start slow. Allow people to understand that in the circle you share at whatever level you're comfortable sharing. If you just want to share, you know, I'm feeling how you're feeling today and I'm feeling fine. You don't have to share any more than you want to share. But that the idea that you would begin to really honor all the parts of yourself which the circle invites all of us to do is just as important for adults as it is for um, young people. And I think that the idea, one of the most important ideas that I know both Kay and I feel so strongly about is that this is, this is part of our capacity as human beings. This is the idea that we need professional, specialized people to talk about feelings is one of the greatest um, sort of errors in our mm. thinking that in some ways really undermine our ability to show up for one another in all the important ways. And for, you know, and, and so I think the most important thing that we feel about this is that this is our human capacity to listen to one another, to um, empathize with one another. Um, sure, there's a role for professionals, absolutely. But this does not take the place for the full connection between human beings. And children in a classroom want that connection with their, their adults, with their teachers. They don't want to be sent off to somebody else to talk to if they've turned to someone that they trust and care about. So I think it's one of the great disservices in our culture is that we've come to really think we aren't able to um, really just respond with our human ability to be present with one another. And we're out of practice. So the circle helps us practice that. So I think it's baby steps. <laughs> and I generally try to just make it a very safe place and really try to encourage people to understand that this is you know, that they can really participate in this at a level that feels comfortable for them. Um, but I, I have that, we run into that kind of response all the time. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we need to do this. And possibly, yes. Carolyn, do you, uh, and Jose, that's such an excellent point and, and comment question to make. Thank you so much for, for coming into the circle tonight with that. Cause uh, the, what it raises for me is the question of how to um, to listen to the needs of the school that you you raised earlier, Carolyn, 
um, to, to hear what, what's going on, what's working, what's not. But also possibly would it be helpful to share other programs in other schools across the country that perhaps don't have so-called official trainers but that are nonetheless seeing incredible results? Is that, is that something that might be a possibility that you could, could do, Jose, in your school? Yes, I, I, you know, I, I, um, I just want to say I work with a group called Teachers Unite in New York City. And if people Google that, Teachers Unite New York City, um, we do have a film on restorative justice. We've looked a lot to the folks out in Oakland and the work that they're doing in schools. Um, mm -hmm. And we're making contacts with, I, I think we all have, those of us who do this work have a responsibility to reach out to schools around us and to community centers and to begin encouraging them to begin this dialogue um, around the conversations that really come from the heart and, um, and get away from this testing madness, and I'm not going to get started on all that, but really that we begin, we begin to have more conversations from the heart and reach out to other schools and, and so they can learn from our experiences and our struggles because it's, it's not easy. No, it's not easy. There's a lot of, again, you're really swimming against kind of the, the really deep underlying structures of our culture that really keep us very yes. disconnected and keep us very separate and really um, encourage us to shut down these parts of ourselves. And it's partly why our children are hurting, because the adults are hurting too. And this is, you know, so you really are going in the, it, you know, against that when we do these practices. So I say it's about practice, 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 just like meditation. It's a practice, and it starts to open up. Even in ways that people aren't aware, it starts to open up other parts of themselves. And if it feels good, people keep wanting to do it over again and again. Mm, yeah. and, and I think it's, it's really, you know, the, the only magic of it is the doing of it, you know, is, is to keep the practice. Um, and, sort of, and then I think there is, just like with positive youth development, I think people have an innate desire for this kind of connection. And they may fear it or they may think it's, you know, uncomfortable, but there is in a way in which I see it, it becomes very positively self-reinforcing over time. I don't know if that's been your experience, but that's been my experience. Even people who, you know, I usually invite people into a circle and don't want to force anyone to be there, but oftentimes a good experience means they want to come back. Even sometimes the most skeptical people <laughs> uh, have a good experience and can start to sort of... Uh, feel comfortable in the space and want to come back. Mm. Thank you so much, Jose, for your participation tonight. And um, I just want to honor a couple organizations that are represented, represented in our dialogue circle tonight, one of them being the Lionheart Foundation, as well as the River Phoenix Center for Peacebuilding. We have representatives in the circle tonight. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight and for all the good work that all of you I am sure are doing in whatever way that you're doing it. And certainly, as we converse, please feel free to state where you are calling in from, where you're participating from, and what your organization might be. It's a great way to connect. So Jose, really appreciating that you mentioned that you're with Teachers Unite in New York and City. How do we get a, a copy of that video, Jose? Uh, yeah, if you just go to te Google Teachers Unite New York City, and uh, we have a, a web page that we just put up, and the video is extremely cheap, and um, that, that's the best way to do it. Excellent. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jose. Uh, there's other questions that are in the queue tonight. But Carolyn, um, on the thread that we've been on, I want to ask one other question regarding how to work with schools um, and something that, that seems like a common predicament where there's interest coming like say from the school counselor or the director or the staff, but they feel like they're already kind of under control. Maybe they have a mediation program that they've set up and you know, of course we don't want to just say that this is something that we think you should do. We want to work together to find what's working, what's not. So. When, you're get, when you might be getting a sense that the school feels like they don't need 
a program that they have a mediation program again that that seems to be working just fine. What next, if anything? Hmm. Well, um, you know, in general, you know, in my experience, um, you you can't really push this on a school that isn't interested in it. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago from uh, Kay Pranis to go where the doors are open. Um, and sometimes what happens is we're sometimes approached by uh, just a teacher in a classroom, and she's saying, you know, my principal isn't interested. We have a peer mediation program, but I'm looking for something. I would like to do these things. And I we're always encouraging to say, you know, there's always a place, a zone of uh, control that you have. As a teacher, you can do this in your classroom. You can do this. It can shape the way you interact with students. Even if you're not practicing circles, you can use restorative questions and restorative thinking in the way you engage with, with students. So it's really about finding someone in that community who is really interested in moving it forward. You can't obviously um, push this on people who don't want it, and, and people have to really be uh, seeking this kind of change. And, mm. But it doesn't have to happen in a whole school approach. It can happen anywhere and can happen, um, and sometimes actually starting small is the way uh, to begin. Um, but it has to happen with people who feel this is something they want to do. And that could be students as well. It could be any member of the community. It could be parents um, who are saying that they want to do something. And, and there's what always would a place that look to find. Like? What, what, would, what would you recommend? I mean, I know that each school and each climate and community has its own unique flavor, but what, what are kind of the typical perhaps first steps for a scenario like that, that there is interest but maybe not like the doors aren't swinging wide open, but still there's, there's, there's definite interest there in pockets within the system, within the school? Right. Well, I find very quickly, you know, when we introduce these ideas, pretty quickly people figure out um, a way in which they can, uh, you know, where this will make sense. So, for instance, in a school we were meeting with members of the Parent Liaison Committee, and this is a school where they had combined two schools together. And there was really a disconnect between, wait, hold on one minute, I have to close my office door. Hold on one minute. No problem. No problem. While she's doing that, I just want to, Welcome everybody to join us again next week. We'll be talking with Nancy Riestenberg. Um, this is a mini-series which is co-supported and sponsored by the Peace Alliance and in partnership with Living Justice Press, which we really are grateful for. Uh, what a wonderful publication, um, nonprofit organization. You can find out more about all the books, including the ones we've been talking about tonight, and purchase them at livingjusticepress.org. And uh, just also welcoming you to the archives and the upcoming schedule for Restorative Justice on the Rise, which is restorativejusticeontherise.com, and also more information about the Peace Alliance and restorative programs and advocacy support at peacealliance.org. Carolyn, are you back with us yet? Yes, I am. Okay, welcome um, back. Do, do we have time for another question? There's been a lot of great questions tonight, and people are really wanting to be involved. I know that we're nearing the top of the hour and the close of our time together tonight, but would, would you mind if we, we open up for one more tonight? Sure. Wonderful. Let's go ahead and do that. Welcome, Mitch. You are live. Hi, thank you so much, both of you. Um, and Carolyn, I'm really very impressed um, at, at listening to your love of this, the holistic approach that you shared with us tonight. So just a quick moment of appreciation and possible questions. Um, I really enjoyed what you had to say with respect to teachers. Um, with all faculty, bus drivers, I've heard that as far as other callers, these people are interested, kitchen servers, are interested in knowing how to do conflict resolution. I'm a peace ambassador, and I live in the state of Washington. And I went to a local uh, meeting about humiliation, intimidation, and bullying, which is what it's referred to in our state. 
And I wanted to know one thing. Are you guys using SEL, social emotional learning? So I didn't have anything to write on my index card. I was so impressed. Um, so there is a lot going on. You you just really brought this full circle with me because I, what I had heard before didn't touch on quite as many things as you had. And so I'm I'm looking forward very much to reading your book and and waiting for the workbook and uh, come spring. Great. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I think what it's a little hard for me uh, to hear fully, but you know, you made me think of something that I think is important to say, which is that one of the things is when we're thinking about our schools as communities, and for me, RJ and especially the circles really sees us all as human beings, and we all need each other, um, and we all have gifts to give. And that in our school community, there are so many adults that we ignore, you know, the staff, the janitors, the kitchen staff, the people all through the community who are really there and could be part of a and are part of the community and can and should be included. And I think that this is part of our paradigm shift where we're so used to being in hierarchies where some people have the role, you know, we designate different roles to people, whereas the circle really opens us up to the all of the talents and potential we have to support one another and and there's such a need for support. So many people, all of us are going around feeling under-supported and, under and disconnected. And yet the, the, you know, the capacity is right there. We have everything we need right there to, to make positive change. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, something just triggered my thought about really when we think about the school as a community to think about it in a really broadly inclusive way and include all the people in the community, young and old, as, as bringing their wisdom and love um, to one another because that's so much of what we need and we long for and it's right there. Mm. Well, that is, uh, I believe, a wonderful place to close this evening. Um, but I'd like to welcome you, Carolyn, if you have any further closing comments beyond that. And if not, I'd just like to make a few more announcements um, and reminders for folks. Carolyn, do you have anything else you'd like to, to add tonight to this incredibly deep conversation we've had? Well, I really just want to honor you, Molly, too. I mean, I want to say that, you know, for a long time now, I, I am a, a real, uh, I, I mine your archives of these conversations. They, they, I learn a lot from them. I go back to them over and over and over again. So I really appreciate the, the piece that you play in this movement. And it's a real honor and a privilege to be part of this movement and to feel other people in this movement. And I think schools are the place where RJ is growing the fastest around the world, but uh, especially here in the U.S. And I think the potential for schools to be a site for community transformation is so great. So I, I feel like this is um, a beautiful uh, sort of river that's mm. flowing, and I want to thank you for putting this together. Well, I want to thank you and honor you so much for your spending an hour tonight with us, and I know that the ripple effect that you've had is certainly continuing, and I hope that everybody will please go and check out Living Justice Press and certainly the, the wonderful books that you've dedicated time and, and um, process to, not only with Kay Pranis, but uh, with your Peacemaking Circles and Urban Youth, um, just highly recommending these titles, Heart of Hope and the, the Peacemaking Circles for, for Urban Youth. Those both can be found at livingjusticepress.org. You can also stay in contact with Carolyn by emailing her at crj at suffolk.edu and make sure, too, to check out more about the Center for Restorative Justice that she created at Suffolk University, and I'm sure there's a lot of great students and, and staff as a part of that program as well in the equanimity 
of the circle that we share. So tonight, thank you so much for being a part of your circle for conversation, education, dialogue, inspiration, restorative justice on the rise. I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. I hope that you'll join us again next week as we continue this conversation with Nancy Riestenberg. Good night, and thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good night.